All right, good morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapter 22. I had a great week this week until Friday night, and then everything kind of went crazy. I had to work on Saturday for, uh, it was a scheduled shift that we, we rotate through. So I had to work Saturday anyways, but uh, Friday night I was on call, <clears throat> and about, I think, 6.30 or so, we got a call that there was a house fire, which isn't usually a big deal. We just go there and abandon the gas line until they <clears throat> rebuild the house, then we go back and build them, uh, run them a new line. But uh, I showed up, and it was not a house fire. Lightning had hit the gas line, and it was a torch blowing out of the ground. So we were there till about almost 3 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, trying to fix that. So then I had to go back to work at 8 o'clock, so I'm a, little, I'm a little bit wore out, but... Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about David again. And this morning, we're going to talk about David daring to be a leader. Um, this is one of my, I guess for almost any guy, it could be one of your, a really interesting passage. If you like, um, you know, old, old war movies, what I mean by old, like ancient war movies and things like that. That's kind of what we have here that we're going to talk about. It's actually in 2 Samuel 23 that we find this um, uh, in the Bible, but uh, we'll get there in a little bit. We're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 22 with David daring to be a leader. And verse 1, the Bible says this, <clears throat> David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get into the lesson. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. I thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word and, and uh, learn from David again this morning. God, I pray that you would uh, help us as we go through this lesson. Uh, God, to learn to be leaders in our respective fields, but also that we would learn to, to follow um, those that you've put in authority over our lives. I pray that we would be um, loyal followers. And uh, God, that we would be picking up uh, the slack where we can and uh, God, just serving you uh, where we can and where you want us to. Pray that you would bless the service the next hour and bless this time as we open your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's interesting that um, David doesn't call anybody. They find out he's in this cave. He doesn't call and ask for help. He's hiding out from Saul. And uh, verse 2, everyone that was in distress came to him. The end of, end of verse 1 actually says, and, all his father's, and when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. It's interesting, uh, remember when David went to the battlefield to, and actually killed Goliath, his brother was mad at him, his, his oldest brother particularly, was mad at him for coming down to the battle. He was just a young whippersnapper, so to speak, and he was, he was actually... Um, corrected for coming down just to see the battle going on and of course we know that's not why he went down there he was down there because his dad sent him with food and all the rest of that but you fast forward not very long after that now David is anointed well he was anointed king at that time but David is in line to be king now Saul has called him to be a servant remember we la we heard that last week David has or Saul has called him into the palace to be his servant and now David is running from Saul for his life. And his brothers and his, and his father and, and all the rest of his family find out he's in this cave and they come to him. And the Bible says 
400 other men with him. And we're going to look through this uh, lesson. We're going to find out that leaders, good leaders, real leaders, don't demand loyalty. They inspire loyalty. That's, that is a, a picture of a good leader. They don't ever, it doesn't mean they don't ever delegate and, and hey, you do this, hey, you do this. But they inspire the loyalty, not necessarily the obedience, but the loyalty. These men, the Bible says, for the rest of his life were with him. They were, they were David's men. And, and you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 23. That's where we're going to actually be through the rest of this lesson. But it, this is the passage that talks about all David's mighty men and, and the different uh, things that they did. This was not all at one time. You got, you got to realize this is a chronicling of what these mighty men did through David's uh, leadership, through his life. Because in 2 Samuel 23, verse 1 through 5, it's talking about this is the end of David's life. These are his last words. And then, in, starting in verse 8, then it chronicles the mighty men that, that David had in his life uh, and, and some of the things that they did. So we're going to jump right into the lesson. What attracted these men to David, their leader? What attracted him? And the first thing we see is Back in 1 Samuel 22, you don't have to, unless you want to have a finger in there, we can go back and forth. But in verse 1, the, what attracted them to David was his need that he had, the need he had. And I think that often happens in our circles. Sometimes, uh, you know, uh, I just know from, from our church growing up, I wasn't there when it happened because it was in the 70s, but... Our church, Fairhaven Baptist Church, really grew and rallied around the pastor when he was imprisoned for something that the state said was illegal. That's when the church rallied around their leader, and that's really when the church grew, and, and there's, there's still people there to this day, obviously they're in their mid-70s, late-70s, that were there when this thing happened, and they've been at that church through their entire lives because of this initial need that happened when, when the pastor, when our pastor there got imprisoned uh, for, for what the state called illegal. And, and I'll just tell you, it was, it was spanking a child in school. He didn't even do it, but he wrote the handbook that said when a child gets 10 demerits, it's, it's three swats at school, and they went after him for that. And long, long story, but Hillary Clinton was actually the, running the pilot program for that whole thing in Indiana, and she was the one that went after him as, as the prosecutor. But anyways, when all of that happened, the church rallied around this leader, and the pastor wasn't saying, you don't go anywhere, you stay, you stay. When he was in prison, I don't know how many hundreds of people were at the courthouse, at the jail, but they stayed there all night long when they held him, um, singing and, you know, and, and just supporting him being in there, knowing he had done nothing wrong. That's kind of what happens here with David. David is running from Saul, no fault of his own. He's just trying to save his life. He's not necessarily scared. He just doesn't want to have to fight Saul and kill him, right? Because we see that uh, in the Bible through the, the rest of that passage that he has chances to kill Saul and doesn't take them. So he's running from Saul to stay away from him so they don't end up having this altercation. And these men come to David, including his, his father and his brothers. And all the people that were in distress and, and all the rest of that. And it's interesting, uh, a little bit later, remember the story where they, they, uh, the Philistines come and raid their, the women that are still in the towns and all the rest of that. And they're ready to kill David because their families have been, been destroyed or their homes have been destroyed. 
And David is able to rally them again and say, no, no, let's go fight the Philistines and take back what they've taken from us. But anyway, it was based on their need that they initially were attracted to David. And um, I think it's important that it's not necessarily just the leaders, but when other Christians are down, when they're having a hard time, that's often when, when other Christians come and say, well, they had that coming because they did this and they did that. I think instead we need to rally around each other and help each other, not the proverbial kick them while they're down, uh, but we need to help them back up and help them on their feet and, and get going again. But they were, it was based on their need. And, and I remember <clears throat> growing up, and not necessarily when I was a kid, because I, I went to, we called them work parties at church when we'd go on Monday nights to work on the grounds at the church or work on the buildings or whatever. Uh, they called it work party. And I remember, shoot, you could count on one hand how many times you didn't have it through a year um, <clears throat> in the 52 weeks. But it was, our buildings were, were not necessarily falling apart, but we were growing. There was the school building and the college was there and all the rest of that. And I just remember how close men would get when they were working on those, on those buildings on Monday nights. And then when I got a little bit older and got married and I was out of college and all the rest of that, I remember that's when we, that's where you kind of got your group of friends at the church, the ones that you were really close to, was working on Monday nights at the church. And I think there's a lot to that. David's men grew close to him. They were <clears throat> learned their loyalty to him when they were serving him, when they were working. And uh, so David didn't require it. He inspired it. And I, I, there's this illustration. It says, when you think that God can't use you, just remember this. And here's why I say that. In, in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, the off-scouring of the earth really came to David and were able to be used by him. And it's very possible that some of these mighty men in 2 Samuel 23, some of these mighty men were some of these outcasts. Um, and we're not going to read the whole passage. Uh, you can later in, in 2 Samuel 23. These were some, some courageous men. Um, but no doubt some of them had nowhere to go, and that's what brought them to David as well. They, they finally found somebody that they could go be of use to. But somebody said this, when you think God can't use you, just remember this. Noah got drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was homely. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. And Lazarus was dead. I think that covers just about every situation we might ever get into. And God used these people. Um, and that's what he did with these mighty men that David had that gathered around him. We find people in the Bible with the greatest needs being used the greatest by God. And the reason for that is God is looking for people that are deficient to show his sufficiency through them. When I am weak, then am I strong. Because God is not looking for the most athletic or the best looking or the best speaker or whatever you have. Because he doesn't get the glory 
through them usually that he gets through somebody that says, I, I can't get up there and talk. We'll get Moses. Scared to death to go in front of Pharaoh. But look how God used him because God was able to get the glory through it, through that. So they were drawn to David because of his need and their need. But they were, uh, they were drawn to David because of his sufficiency. Um, they knew that when they went to David, he could meet their needs. And he did. 400 men. He provided everything they needed. Now, granted, I'm sure some of them were out hunting and the rest of that. It's not like they were just sitting there waiting for David to feed them. But he was able to provide everything these men that came to him needed. And Hebrews 12, chapter, or chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're going to go back and forth between David being what these men needed and Jesus Christ being what we need uh, as our leader. But think about that. Jesus is everything that we need, right? Um, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. We, these members of David's band knew where to seek help, and, and so do we. We need to go to Christ. We need to sit before his throne and bring our needs to him. Um, these men did not, they didn't come to David pleading for help necessarily, but they saw where they could put their services to use, and they came to David. And as a whole, they were able to accomplish great things. Um, and then, and then once David became king, many of these men were put into places of, of leadership because of how they had been loyal to David. Um, so we see what brought them to David, but, but we also want to look at the, their loyalty to their leader. Um, and loyalty is something that's needed on the part of the leader and the followers. If a leader uh, uses people to get him where he's, where he's going or where he, gets, where he has gotten to and then forgets all about him, there's no loyalty from him, and he will lose all of that loyalty he had from his, from his followers. Um, and I don't want it to sound cultish, but from, from his group of people that are around him, they love to, people love to be loyal unless they get burned, right? Um, but when somebody burns you, people never forget it. Um, it happens in work. It happens in churches. It happens with personal relationships. You love to be loyal to somebody, somebody that, you know, I'd give them the shirt off my back, and then they burn you, and that's the end of that usually. Um, but David, David wanted to be their leader, and he was loyal to them, and that's what we see in 2 Samuel 23. That's why it chronicles these mighty men. It's, it's kind of a story of saying these men came to David in 1 Samuel, and the rest of his life he was loyal to them, even though he became king. Um, Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Um, we, hear, we hear this, not, not all the time, but Pastor mentions it fairly often when we're talking about love. Love is not an emotion, right? It's an action. It's a verb. It's something that we actively go out and do. And loyalty is the same way. Um, it's easy to follow somebody when everything's great. But we have to purposely make that action of loyalty 
when things are not going great. Um, so it's not something that, ah, I feel like being loyal today. It's something we go out and say, regardless of what happens, albeit especially with a pastor or whatever else, outside of him falling into sin and ending his ministry or something like that, we purposely go out and we be loyal to the man God has placed over us. Um, <clears throat> I read an interesting story here. Dr. Bud Calvert, and I think it's the, the, the story of the Calverts today because there's another illustration from like 100 years before this. The guy's name is Calvert as well. But Dr. Bud Calvert um, started a Christian school at Fairfax Baptist Temple. And there was a man in his church <clears throat> that he wanted to be the principal of the school. This man was retired, and there's a, there's a couple stats about him. So this guy, his name was Gil Hansen. He was a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, received his master's from George Washington Uni University, graduated from the Naval War College, and also graduated from the National Defense University. His last assignment, he was commander of the USS Gray, in which he was responsible for 275 men and 25 officers. That's this guy that he says, I want him to lead my Christian school. I want him to be the principal as this, as this retired naval captain. So he becomes the principal, and, and he said every time he sent a memo, he would, he would sign it very respectfully and then sign his name, Gil Hansen. So finally this pastor went to him one day and he said, I appreciate it. I know you're a military man, so you know I kind of expect the, the respect. But why do you sign it very respectfully yours instead of just respectfully yours or whatever? And this is how he explained it. He said, in the Navy, when an officer sends a memo to someone under their command, they always sign it respectfully. When a junior officer sends a note to someone ranked above him, proper protocol is to sign it very respectfully. He said, you're my pastor, and I'll always sign my notes very respectfully. But that's what I mean by loyalty is on purpose. This guy is way more qualified than the pastor when it comes to rule, running things and, and leading people. But he turns to his pastor and, call, and signs it very respectfully because he's underneath his pastor when it, in, the, in the way that God has ruled it. But loyalty is, an, is a purposeful action. But these men serve David willingly. In 2 Samuel 23, 16, and you're in 2 Samuel 23. Go to verse 16. The Bible says, And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. Um, we're going to get to this, this story here in just a couple minutes. But God is looking on the heart. Now, David, these men, if you, if you know the story, David's kind of standing there and he says, man, I wish I had a drink from the well of Bethlehem. And he's met, he doesn't ask them. He just says it. And I'll jump ahead of myself right now. It's kind of like uh, you out working on a hot day and go, man, a glass of lemonade would be nice right now. That's kind of how David said it. And these men hear that and they break through. The Philistines were guarding this well because they needed water for their people, for their men and for their animals and all the rest of that. They broke through the line of Philistines uh, protecting this well and get David a glass of water or a jug of water and bring it back to him. And this is where that mutual respect is. David says, you risked your life. I'm not going to just guzzle this water. And he pours it out unto the Lord. Though it's interesting that it says that. He poured it out unto the Lord there in verse 16. But these men served willingly. Um, they, they knew the risk they were running, and these were David's mighty men, but they knew the risk they were running going out there just to get a glass of water, but they were willing 
no matter what David asked to do it. Kind of the old, your wish is my command thing. That's how these men um, served David. And we can, we can correlate all of these things to our loyalty under our pastor, our loyalty to Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> Jesus shouldn't have to beat, or the Holy Spirit shouldn't have to beat us over the head every time he wants us to witness some, to somebody. Or, you know, he says, hey, go, go talk to that person or go hand them a track or whatever, and we don't do it. And then he has to convict us and convict us and convict us. That shouldn't be the way it is. His wish should be our command, as, as these mighty men did for David. I was talking to... Uh, a friend of mine that that goes down there to Gill Grove, and they invite us over for dinner a couple couple weeks ago. And and what he said to me was pretty challenging. He said, "You know, we we haven't been able to go out knocking on doors because of this coronavirus and all that. So we kind of shut our our soul winning ministry down as far as knocking on doors." But he said, "God's been convicting me actually through his dad. His he said his dad is." really good at passing out tracks and he said so his dad is has actually come to live with them because he's kind of sick and he said uh so that has been a challenge to me what they do is they go out to walmart and they just find people in the in the parking lot and go around handing tracks out to him he said i i'll talk to 30 or 40 people in 30 minutes you know handing them tracks out because he said if god commands us to be out witnessing we can find a way to do it and that's kind of, that's what we're talking about. God's wish should be our command. We shouldn't be looking for opportunities to not do something for him. We should be looking out for opportunities where we can. Things are going to come up. The coronavirus is going to come up. That upends a lot of what we normally do. We can find ways to serve him if we're looking. Um, I read a quote. The author is, they don't even know who the author is, but it says, Every church is filled with willing people. Some are willing to work, and others are willing to let them work. Let's be the people that are willing to do the work, right? Um, and, then I, and then, this is interesting, this, uh, there's a quote from a professional basketball player. He said, I think that the good and the great are only separated by the willingness to sacrifice. If we're not willing to sacrifice, we can be good. pastor preached a message on this, I, I don't remember how long ago it's been now, but good is the enemy of great or, or the best thing. Good is the enemy of that. We might be doing okay. We might be doing good. But if God has us something more for us to do, good is the enemy of that because we get, uh, we get comfortable uh, doing good, just get kind of skating by. Um, and David Livingston had a, had a story about that as well. He was, he's a missionary, obviously, to Africa, one of the trailblazers uh, in missions and even in exploration there in Africa. And he got a letter from England it said, it said um, have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. And this is what David Livingston replied. If you have men who will come only if there's a good road, I don't want them. I want those who will come if there's no road at all. That's what a pastor needs. That's what Jesus Christ needs. Not, well, if it's easy, if you find a real good way to witness or a real good way to go out knocking on doors or or spreading the gospel, I'll go help. How about, and there's, we don't see any way where we can continue knocking on doors. Let's find a way to get the gospel out. That's what David Livingston was said. If, if you're waiting, these men are waiting for me to make a road for them to come in, don't even send them. I want guys that are going to come help me make the road. Uh, but then David's men served, they served willingly, but they served wholeheartedly. And that's, we go back to verse 16. These men wholeheartedly served David. They go through the the 
line of the Philistines. It says in verse 16, they break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem. It wasn't like two guys standing guard and they snuck up behind them and, you know, often and got a drink of water. They broke through the host of the Philistines to get this glass of water. They served wholeheartedly. And the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, uh, what God thinks about somebody who's serving but not wholeheartedly. It says, So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. He would rather have you not serving him at all than halfway serving him or calling yourself a Christian and the world knows you're a hypocrite or calling yourself a Christian but you won't serve. Calling yourself a Christian but you don't read your Bible, you don't pray. I would rather have you cold or hot, not lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, Revelation says, I will spew thee out of, out of my mouth. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, don't go, don't go back there. It says, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with, truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. Uh, certainly Jesus Christ, but even on a more practical level, level our, our pastors, the under-shepherds, uh, of our local Bible-believing churches are looking for and in great need of uh, willing, wholehearted servants. We need them. We, we need people that are willing to serve. I, I mentioned this last week. The pastor cannot run a church by himself. Imagine, imagine our pastor trying to do everything here himself. It's impossible to do. We need wholehearted, willing servants. Um, and then lastly, uh, the mightiness uh, their mightiness for their leader, um, for their leader, David. And that's where Second Samuel chapter 23 comes in. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. Read it later. It's some really neat uh, stories. But I think Josh preached on one of them, Shama, right? That stood in a, in a bean field when all the rest of the, the um, Israelite soldiers left. This man stood in a bean field and fought, killed 300, 300 Philistines. 300 Philistines protecting a bean field. Um, there's other stories it talks about uh, that uh, one of the guys, I don't remember his name, I think Ben Hoida or something, went down and killed, it says, killed two lion-like men, then found a lion in a pit that they had captured, jumps in the pit and kills it. Just some really neat stories in in uh, 2 Samuel 23. And like I said, it's a chronicle of uh, some of David's mighty men. But they were valiant, they were mighty for their leader. They weren't just out there slaying Philistines because they were mad. They were trying to hold, in Shama's situation, trying to hold this land that they had uh, procured for themselves. Uh, remember, these men are on the run. These men are, are fleeing from Saul, and they are trying to survive in the wild <clears throat> with, with no homes. Maybe they're camping or whatever. So you can imagine how important a bean field would be to them. He kills 300 Philistines trying to defend that. But in, in uh, <clears throat> verses 18, 19, 20, 21, uh, some of David's relatives go out and kill some of Goliath's relatives in battle. Some of the, They were sons of the giants, they called them. They were sons of other giants. And some of them were, were Goliath's sons. Uh, David has a nephew that goes out and kills one of Goliath's either sons or nephews. Um, but these men were mighty in battle because of the example David left them. Um, when David went to fight Goliath, he was a young man with no armor. He wasn't a military man. And these men no doubt remember 
uh, that courage that David showed when he went and fought Goliath. But <clears throat> um, in the 1800s, here's the other Calvert we were going to talk about. In the 1800s, James Calvert went out as a missionary to the cannibals in the Fiji Islands. And as they, as the ship got closer to, as, as the ship that was bringing them got close to the uh, beach, the captain stopped and asked James Calvert to reconsider. And he told him this, you will lose your life and the lives of all those that go with you among these savages. And Calvert turned to the captain and said, we died before we came here. That's the kind of willingness and surrender that God is looking for in us. Um, we don't really have that risk of dying for our faith right now. We may in the future, but we don't right now. But we have to be willing to die, willing to give up everything. And if God doesn't take it that far, if we get to live to be old men and old, old women, great. But we have to be willing to have surrendered everything to Jesus Christ. And then <clears throat> these men with David were victorious. And again, go through 2 Samuel 23. One after another, killing 300 at a time. One of, one of these giants came at uh, one of David's mighty men with his, with his spear. And it says this man took it from him and killed him with his own spear. Uh, just kind of some, some neat stories. But these men were victorious um, in battle. They were mighty because, not because they were loyal, but because they knew how important what they were doing was. They needed to be victorious for David, for their king. Um, but God, God prepared these men for David. He knew exactly who he was sending him. Misfits, yes. Uh, outcasts, yes. Felons, maybe, yes. But men that David needed. He couldn't have accomplished what he needed to accomplish with uh some of the, the soft men we see nowadays. He needed mighty men that were going to be loyal to David, and that's what God gave him. Uh, Isaiah 40, verse 31, we know this verse. It says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Uh, going back to, and, and all the way through Second Samuel 23, um, it says, the Lord wrought a great victory. The Lord was responsible for bringing out, for bringing a great victory. These men that, that were used by David were tools in God's hands, and that's what we should be. Let the Lord wrought a great victory through us. Um, if we're looking for the glory, he's not going to do it. If we are, but if we are surrendered and completely willing to do what he needs us to, but give him all the glory for it, he can use us and he will use us just like he used these mighty men. Um, but in verse 10 of 2 Samuel 23, right at the end of it, and the people returned, oh, no, sorry, in the middle, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to, to spoil. And on through it, over and over, the Lord wrought a great victory. When Shammah killed all those Philistines, the Lord wrought a great victory. And I, I'm afraid that often we can't, uh, we don't have testimonies of the great things that God is doing in our lives because we don't attempt anything great. We don't attempt great things for him. We can't have great victories. He can't wrought a great victory in us if we're not, even, if we're not doing anything. We're not on this earth to uh, work a 40-year career at a job and retire into the sunset. And We're here to fight for our Savior. We're here to witness. We're here to serve him. And only if we're serving him, only if we're surrendered, only if we're giving of ourselves can he wrought a great victory in us. 
Dare to be a leader. Dare to be a loyal follower. That's the lesson today. All right, let's pray and get ready for the, for the morning service. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. Again, I thank you for these lessons we hear from David uh, and his mighty men. God, some, that's really the only chapter in the Bible that talks about and chronicles all the things that David's mighty men did. But no doubt, he was able to accomplish so much because he had these men surrounding him. I pray that we would be the loyal uh, servants, the loyal church members that you need and that our pastor needs, that you can wrought a great victory in, in the things uh, in this community, that you can bring a great victory in this church, and that we can see visitors come in and see them saved. Uh, no greater victory uh, than that to see souls saved and rescued from hell. But God, I pray that we would be attempting great things for you so that we can see you work through us, see you bring great victories to our church and to uh, those that are involved in this church. And pray that you would bless this next hour. Be with our pastor as he preaches. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're dismissed. <laughs>